episode 110, bonus edition, interview with Phil Maycomer. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educators podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hey, lead educators, this is Gretchen from Always a Lesson, here to empower you to reach your potential. I am calling you elite because I feel that really describes someone that takes the time to invest in themselves by listening to a podcast just like this one to help hone their craft. Well, today is a special day because we have a guest appearance. I want to help you reignite your passion and potential by learning from another elite educator named Phil Maycomer. She's got quite the empowering message. But before I jump into our conversation, I do want to take a moment to share a little bit more about her with you. So Phil Maycomer is an award-winning national speaker, author, inclusion specialist, and curriculum strategist. As you can tell, she's a very busy lady. She's the president of Make a Difference Incorporated, where she consults with and trains thousands of teaching staff. So as you know, a coach myself, I am very interested in the work that she does. Well, she's been a guest on several radio shows to discuss simplifying instruction for students of all ability levels. And in fact, her partnership with Leave No Girl Behind International is training young people in key leadership principles globally. Holy cow, could she do anything else with her day? <laughs> I am so impressed already. As if that isn't enough, she has gone on to create a four-step simple system called The Pack for how to teach anything to anyone. So in a way that students that of any ability learn faster and deeper, and then teachers succeed in reaching and teaching all students while also meeting those standards. So she's written a book about this called The Power of the Pact, and it's actually being referred to as the simple evidence-based solution for differentiated instruction and meaningful inclusion. So if you teach students of varying ability levels, which we all do, you definitely want to tune in to today's episode to hear from quite the expert, Phil. So let's dive into this interview. Well, hey, Phil, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Gretchen, it is my pleasure. I've been so looking forward to this. Great. Elite educators around the world are just really eager to hear from you today. So I'm going to jump right to some questions if you don't mind. Perfect. Uh, so why don't you start and just share how you and I cross paths? Yes, we connected when you reached out to me on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is all about the pact. And I was so pleased to hear from you and learn that you spend a lot of time supporting teachers uh, related to differentiating instruction because it's such a nice uh, connection for both of us. Absolutely. So you mentioned, you know, here's your Twitter handle and you're able to really connect with teachers. And we talked about uh, your passion right now is that differentiation piece. So if you were to give yourself some sort of title, what would you consider yourself in the field of education right now? I'm an author in the field of education of a, a teaching framework that is bridging the gap between special education and general education called The Pact. So I am an author. I'm an educational speaker. I have the 
opportunity and blessed to be able to empower thousands of educators across North America and also outside of North America, so educational uh, speaker. And then I'm a curriculum consultant uh, and inclusion specialist because my passion has always been in advocating for children of all abilities to participate and access grade-based curriculum. That's interesting. Why do you say that's your passion? Was there something that occurred in your learning journey that just really lit that fire under you? Yeah, you know, it, honestly, it really started uh, growing up in Northeast Pennsylvania. I was adopted by uh, my parents into this wonderful Italian family, and I grew up with my cousin Pam, who I affectionately refer to as Pam Pam, mm -hmm. and you know, back then she was diagnosed, I was born in 1961, and she was diagnosed with what we call mental retardation, which is now referred to as Pam having a developmental disability. And so I was always so passionate about how Pam really, our family focused on sameness as opposed to differentness. And then my career uh, after graduate school at Johns Hopkins Kennedy Krieger Institute and was a specialist working with special needs populations. That's really interesting. So do you think in having Pam, 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 do you feel like that really softened your heart to look at kids in a new way, almost empathetically, because you've lived it, you understood more than just the classroom setting of that disability, you knew the home life, and, and just all that comes along with that for Pam? Yeah, you know, Pam is older than me. And the way I have always described it is that my aunt Netley, <clears throat> excuse me, my aunt Nellie, who is my dad's sister, you know, we grew up in a very close knit Italian family. And, you know, we would go to each other's homes for family birthday parties and we're all jumping on the bed, listening to the monkeys and on the bed jumping with us. And, you know, my aunt Nellie basically said, Pam will not go to a special school. This is her school. And I found that as just such leadership in my family that we all were born leaders to advocate for Pam. And yeah, it's, it was just so wonderful. So I've always been interested in education and certainly the field of disabilities and supporting teachers to be able to know how to do it because I feel that in everyone's hearts, all means all. But sometimes the pace of the day and how complicated education has become makes that difficult to focus on, and it almost becomes hidden curriculum. Inclusion becomes hidden curriculum. Absolutely. I was just going to ask you that. So d some teachers think differentiation is like, oh, it's like more work. But I know that you see it as, like you said, advocating for all. We've got to make sure they can be just as successful. So how do you help teachers really shift that mindset that it's not more work it's just better instruction yeah I think that one of the very first steps is to not make it 25 steps <laughs> right I mean you work in the field of education I mean we don't have the time to do 25 steps in a busy day where there's an incredible amount of information to cover in what I consider to be often an impossible amount of time and 
we all have like multiple things to do and not enough time to do them. You know, Gretchen, I don't know about you, but I spend, although I am an educational speaker, I spend a significant amount of time in schools empowering teachers and modeling strategies in the classroom, teaching actual students, um, both in special education and general education, with a four-step model of how to just get going. Because I, I always say I, too, have 180 seconds to go to the bathroom every day, to be really. <laughs> you know, no lunch break, eat in the car. You know, I live that as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you, since you've seen so many teachers, what would you say is like an attribute that really makes an educator great? Being a lifelong learner, mm-hmm. hands down. Feeling that you can always learn, that you can always improve, and never letting go of why your why. You know, my why is to be able to truly change education and make people remember their why and not let go of that in a crazy day or in school years where every year there's a different initiative and you just feel downtrodden that you can't do it anymore, that you can gain control of instruction in your classroom. And it's really not very difficult to do if you do a few things and you do them well. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Well, let's flip the script. So you being a learner, a lifelong learner, what do you say is really, you know, a lesson you've learned along the way that really challenged you but has obviously made you better? I believe adopting an exercise of what I call a 3-3 exercise. Can I tell you about it? Yeah, please do. Yeah, every time I interact and train staff, every time I interact and teach a lesson with students, regardless of grade level or consult with teachers, I reflect on what are the three things I feel that I did well to truly make a difference and what are the three things that I would do to tweak and shape the next time so that I could better serve. Mm, So I think it's not hard on yourself and beating yourself up about, oh, I should have or I didn't do. If you do that balanced approach of every time you should always adopt self-reflection to really be in the habit of self-evaluation, that is the biggest lesson that I've learned in my career. And I practice it daily. Truly I like daily. that. So in my role, we call it a glow and a grow. And it's for me to give to teachers, here are things you did well, here are things to work on. But I, you're really taking that model and adopting it to yourself. So I can now say, okay, Gretchen, what are your own glows and grows moving forward? I really like that self-reflection to just keep you know, getting better and every new experience really helps shape your perspective and and helps you reach higher. Yeah. In in the very first sections of my first book, which is called The Power of the Pact, I explain uh, this exercise and just briefly uh, giving an overview. I learned it from my husband. Uh, My husband and I've been together 29 years at the time of this recording. Oh, thank you. And I could honestly say that Rob is one of the top people in my life that I respect. And I mean, hands down. And he shared this exercise with me that before he goes to sleep every night, he he does this 3-3 exercise. And I so I started to adopt it as well in my personal life. And then I found that so many things that I, I wanted to be able to do it 
and incorporate my professional life because when I work with people, I say to them, you know, I'm like a short little gushy Italian person. You know, I'm I have a lot of energy. I truly believe in what I do. And if, if that serves you, then I'll roll up my sleeves and give you 150%. And so I say, work with me. You don't get the professional fill and then separately you get the, the uh, personal fill. You just get fill because my work is a part of my heart. And it sounds like that's how you are as yes. well. And I love your terms, Gretchen. I want to adopt them and credit you as well, a glow moment in row. Yes, amen. Now, Matt, question. Yeah. Do you feel that this self-reflection process is important to teach our students as well on a regular basis? Oh, yeah. I've created materials for them to even, you know, give me a grade. So, so in terms of let's just all pause for a moment. I just gave this lesson for the first time. Let's just think through and, and say to yourself, did at the time is Ms. Schultek, that was my maiden name. Did Ms. Schultek help me really understand this lesson? Is there something she could have done better? And so even though it sounds like they're giving me feedback as an instructor, they're really self-reflecting on their own learning experience. It's what did I do? What ownership did I take to really understand the material? Did I ask questions like I should have? Did I help a peer if they needed it? And so by building in reflection throughout the curriculum, they're really now taking that habit and applying it to their life. And and then I had them lead their own book discussions, and really they didn't have me to prompt questions, so they had to sit and, and realize, okay, hold on, I am now in the driver's seat. What do I need to ask to get clarification, or what do I need to do to better understand this? And I think the more ownership you give students, the more they start reflecting in the moment because they've got to think on their feet and, and say, what do I need, what do I need, how can I get it? And it's been so empowering for me to help students really advocate as our conversation is talking about for themselves um, I think self-reflection is not just an academic thing it's not just adult thing I mean it's an everybody thing an all-day everyday thing I, I couldn't agree with you more you know I feel that self-reflection when we teach model and offer our students opportunities for this really moves them from merely thinking about their performance or achievement or what their contribution is to an actual understanding of it. And that really fosters, as you know, a growth mindset, right? That we always can improve, you know? And I say to students and to teachers, you know, why is this important? And it's something that I had said previous uh, in our conversation here is that it forms an important habit of evaluation and being honest with yourself. And then I think it also reduces fear in getting something wrong. So it like decreases anxiety for students. And I think they're more open to taking constructive feedback in addition to adults approaching it this way. Because so many times when coming in to try to support adult staff, they, they try so hard and they want to explain to you why they're doing what they're doing. But when making recommendations, they also spend time giving you the reasons why they didn't do what you just recommended. And that's not the point of the recommendation. The point of the recommendation is to say, wow, you've got a great basis here. Let's move down the yellow brick road, right? And yeah. so learning to take that constructive feedback as part of your daily practice, whether you're a student or a teacher, is extremely important. And to me, it's a responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And in 
you know, just talking about learning and, and that metacognition piece, how do you, is there someone you really look towards to learn from, or do you think just in all the work you do in different schools that that is really, you know, the best piece of mentorship that you could ask for? Yeah, and that is an excellent question. I think the best way that I could respond to that is <clears throat> that in order to solve real problems of solutions that you yourself are trying to train people on and support people on, you need to spend a significant amount of time in the environments where the problems exist. Meaning, I just don't teach seminars. I just don't write books or come up with educational tools to help people. I actually use them in real schools or programs or agencies or with real families in the community and school to work programs, for example. I model them, I get feedback. You know, it's it was a very different place for me, Gretchen, to be able to have resources as a professional, meaning not just like a book or a book series, but like an app or a piece of software. That was not always a place of comfort for me. One, I never did anything like that before, to be really candid. And I say that very humbly. I had so many skin knees in developing resources for people. But, you know, like when you're trying to get bugs out of things and see if things work, of course, we go to those like tech people that really know tech really well and can put it through its paces. But I had said to my team, those are not the only people that we're really getting feedback from. I need feedback from actual staff that are going to be using this in busy school days. And so that would be our teaching staff, whether that's our support staff, like our paraprofessionals or one-on-one -on -one staff or our therapists that come, go into the classrooms and support or provide that outside the classroom or our teachers, both in gen ed and special ed. And then also the kids, you know, Gretchen was so funny because when our app system called the iPact, uh, that it's an Apple app, was just on the heels of being released, you know, like it was maybe three or four months prior to, of course, I was working with a group of students and students are our third uh, feedback or beta testing. And a student, and I think the student was in second grade at the time, he just looked up at me and he goes, Phil, why would this work like that? That's like kind of boring. You know, I think it should do this. And it opened up an entire discussion about what students really needed in order to learn. It made the resource so much better. And, you know, like just like you say, and I love what you said about students give you a grade. I actually wrote that down. I loved it. <laughs> you know, it's like getting that feedback from kids because they're your audience, right? Yeah. Well, they're the ones, you know, that we're serving. And so if we never ask them, hey, how can I do this better? Why are we serving them to begin with? Right. Right. And so I think in terms of my learning, uh, just coming back to full circle to your original question is learning from my st the students that I support. And I do that in many different locations, as I said, um, the teaching staff giving feedback. And my biggest piece of advice to people is trusting your gut. You know, my father, top, you know, three people that I respected in my life and he has since passed away. But he always taught both me and my sister, Rosie, that you don't do something because you think it's right. 
you do something because it feels right. And you always know that when you're going to say something, when you're going to act on something, it's that feeling that you have in somewhere deep in yourself that you don't need to rationalize it of, oh, I can't do this because of that. If it feels right, just act on it and do it. And so it, I guess that's my own moral compass. I love that. That's great. Just advice in life, not just education. I'm glad you shared that. Um, in terms of yeah. all the work that you do, I mean, and especially you were mentioning technology and gosh, how things change so rapidly. How do you just stay current in what's happening in education to go out and do the work you do? Related to technology? Or just in terms of like differentiation, you know, has new aspects as well. How, how do you make sure that you're just up to date on, on what's going on? Yeah, I, I think it's extremely important to do your own professional development, right? And that's that you are a lifelong learner. So you certainly need to be current. And we live in such an era right now that, that we can all be what I call information junkies, right? It's we can get any website, we can be on any social media, and especially, I love Twitter in the uh, <laughs> format. I mean, Twitter for me is uh, a wonderful piece of information for educators, and if educators are not on Twitter, I highly recommend that they be on Twitter for that type of information. Um, but I think keeping current with also networking, like for example, I belong to a few mastermind groups yeah. and masterminds. Yeah. I, are you familiar with the mastermind concept? Yes, I am. But let's go ahead and talk about it in case someone is not. Yeah. Masterminds are a group of people that support each other. And, uh, you know, usually it's under, you know, five to six people. So the group can meaningfully share, uh, in a given period of time, the group meets regularly. And the reason you are a part of that group, in my opinion, is to help other people. It is not to get anything out of it yourself. And guess what happens? Other people support you too, right? And so you do end up growing and getting something out of it. And so it is a group of people that come together and say, help me. These are my, what I call vital three. These are my vital three things that I would like to do. And one could, it, you know, it could be a personal goal. It could be a professional goal. And so I'm in different mastermind types of groups and it's really helped catapult me forward and also to feel that I have a support network to learn from. Um, so that in itself is worth spending time on. I love that. And I think that perspective of going into any relationship as not what you know you can get from them, but what can you give? Because like you mentioned, when you start giving, all of a sudden you realize all that you're receiving without, you know, in the intention of making sure it's received. And I, I think a lot of your success probably is just from your humbleness. I can just hear it in every little snippet of your life that you share. It's, it's really about what have I learned along the way? What can I share? How can I empower somebody else? And then all of a sudden they're teaching you some lesson that really catapults you to the next level. I, I love that, you know, us educators, we take care of each other. We do take care of each other. And, you know, going back to, you know, my hero in life, my father, he always taught us it's always about the contribution. Responsibility is a gift, honey. It is not 
And, you know, that whole mindset is unbelievable, isn't it, to be, like, raised that way? And uh, I remember him saying, and I teach this in the classroom, that my dad had said, and my mom, where you can come to us with any problem. You never have to be afraid of that. You know, we were talking about reducing fear and kids having anxiety feedback, right? You know, come to us with any problem, but we're only going to talk about that problem for five or 10 minutes. The remainder of the time, we're going to focus on solutions because that's how you're going to grow up to be a strong woman. You have to focus on solutions to get through life. That's what it's about. And it's all about that contribution, right? I mean, that's why I created my contribution in education is to be able to empower not only educators, but also to empower children. I love it. I'm just like goosebumps all over just listening to you talk. Okay, let's talk about the pact. What else can you tell me about this initiative that you've been working on? Yeah, you know, um, I've been in the field of education for closing in on 30 years. And I entered the field in 1988, right? So it's, you know, I'm in my 29th year and um, I feel badly saying this, but it's true that the problems that existed when I first got into the field, many of them still exist in the field of education today. And looking at that and looking at the mindset of always focus on solutions, is that I would look and say, okay, teachers are constantly not able to keep up with pacing guides. They have a hard time with inclusion of children with disabilities in the classroom. They're having a difficult time of how quickly does the curriculum change? And my response to that is always too quickly. Um, And then, you know, how do I manage uh, diverse groups and heterogeneous groups in my classroom and you know, really have true ownership of all students in my classroom, as opposed to, oh, I don't need to worry about those kids in special ed because Hannah, the special educators, got them. And not saying that in a way that they don't want to include the kids, but meaning, wow, that's off my list. Phew, because I've got 30 things on my list, right? And so I would look at that and, and think to myself, okay, those are the problems. We're only going to talk about those for about five minutes. What are the solutions? And going back to what I said earlier in our conversation, I don't think solutions are 25 steps in the field of education. I think it is about streamlining how to organize your time, focus your time, and basically use your time so you're working smarter, not harder, and making the biggest impact, no pun intended, related to my educational framework. (laughs) No, it's gotta it's gotta matter and you have to feel good about what you're doing because I mean you know this, Gretchen, within the first five years of, of being an educator, fifty percent of the people leave the field. And why is that? Because of burnout. It's teacher burnout and not feeling good about what you're doing. So the reason that I created this educational teaching framework was to streamline it to four basic steps, all aligned to brain-based research, learn about it, read about it, write about it, and talk about it. They're the four major of any educational standards, whether in the United States or outside of the United States. And the other problem as well, I think, that exists is that there are so many, I used the term before, initiatives or things available in education, but 
they really have an, what I call an expiration date on them. Like this is a K-1-2 thing or, oh, this is only appropriate for middle school in science and social studies or ELA. And, oh, this is for graduating seniors. And I think we need to embrace simplicity in education and use something that could be used from the start of an educational career of a student and follows them through graduation without an expiration date. And that's what the PACT is. It is a template for learning to teach anything to anyone in any subject matter, in any grade level for a student of any ability. That's the solution. And getting everyone on the same page having the same conversation, not special ed and gen ed are this Venn diagram with only sharing a little bit in common in that little part of the circle that that crosses over. Education's one circle, right? That's really great. And I like that you were mentioning how integrated learning is, right? It's not just sit and get, but you were saying, let's read about it, let's write about it, let's talk about it. And that's just not something a student with a disability needs to do. That's something every learner, as an adult, that's what I need to do. I need to deal with the material so many times until it becomes a habit, till it becomes natural, till I can say, I've really digested this. And, you know, the many ways you can do it, the better. And that's why learning styles took off, right? It's, it's just really being able to work again in a different way with the same material. So I love, I love the pact. That sounds so fascinating. You know, and it's con it's a conceptual framework, right? Because what is the other thing we know in education is there's budgets are constantly being slashed, right? Mm -hmm. And so teachers can methodically walk their students, say they were doing this in science, for example, um, third grade, Owls of North America. You know, I do a lot of teaching and support you know, curriculum in the classroom. So I've, I've graduated Owls of North America. And... Um, so the students are going to learn about it, meaning all the vocabulary, all of the, you know, the different types of owls and their habitats and, you know, important physical characteristics and features. They're going to read about it and dive in deeper to the sea of knowledge. And now they know what all of these words mean. They'll gain much more meaning from the text, you know, and then they can write about it. They could pick their own owl and they could research it even more. And wow, let's do some hands on two or 3D projects and actually create a life size of the owl that you're doing a report on. And then let's talk about it in a formal speaking role in the classroom and put kids in leadership positions and give oral presentations. Well, how do you think that student's going to feel giving their oral presentation if they methodically learned, read, wrote in a connect the dots format in the classroom? Right. The answer to that is pretty strong, mm -hmm. right? But let me tell you about the unique part about the PACT framework. Okay. Those exact activities, when owls of North America are done in science, now we're starting the solar system. We're going to learn about planets, celestial bodies in space. We're going to learn all the planets and their distances from the sun and their characteristics and use the same types of activities. And then we're going to dive into those same read about types of activities. And then guess what? The kids know their write about project is pick a planet. Mm -hmm. Let's a two or three D about this planet. They know what their instructional blueprint is right. 
for a subject area. So it's all about consistency and predictability so kids can focus on what they're learning and not how they're learning it. And our research, we have done our own research um, in a two-year research study and found that this type of consistency and predictability actually increased acquisition of content for students. It decreased their instruction time because they weren't trying to figure out how the educational activity worked. They knew how it worked. They were focusing on, wow, what am I learning now? Or what am I writing about now? I love that. And I, you know, there's something about, like you were saying, consistency and and kids just really want that structure. And so even though the content is changing, you know, the method in which they're learning is the same. And that makes them feel safe, makes them feel successful. And then I feel like they're able to really not stress so much about this new knowledge. They're just really open to what they're going to learn and, and get excited. I'm really loving this, the, the pact. I'm glad you're sharing it with me. Oh, thank you. You know, I love what you said about the whole students know how to succeed, because that's so true. Um, Gretchen, on our website, there's a tab called Articles and Resources. And every time I write an article or someone else might write an article on the PACT, it is posted there. There's also radio interviews that are posted there. I'd love to be able to then post this podcast on that on there as well. Um, but in my most recent uh, article series on teaching, the importance of teaching executive functioning skills to kids. In that article, and it's related to consistency and routine and predictability, uh, we have a quote from Dr. Peter Gorski from Harvard Medical School mm -hmm. in Cambridge that basically says, knowing what to expect from activities helps kids become more confident right? It decreases that anxiety. It decreases the brain load. And it, it speaks to exactly what you just said. And um, I have a, another article. Uh, so right now it's the beginning of June when we're doing this recording. And it's the end of the month that will be published in uh, I Am Lee, Living Education Every Day. I am an educational, I was their first educational ambassador for this project. If educators do not know about it, you definitely want to look it up on Twitter. Uh, Michelle and Mike Robinson uh, are the founders of I Am Lee, and they put out such wonderful, wonderful resources. And they also put out a publication uh, quarterly. And so I have one article that was published last summer and another one uh, upon release and it is all about the top five strategies that any teacher could use teaching any classroom lesson. And I co-wrote it with an assistant principal who I highly respect by the name of Brittany Preston, who is a collaborative uh, colleague of mine on my project. So uh, that will be posted on our website. And uh, so hopefully your, your listeners could look forward to reading that. Yeah, absolutely. That's so exciting. Well, I wanted to ask you just one more question, if you have a second. Uh -huh. So I always love to kind of embarrass guests and ask them what is their kind of all-star best teacher moment, because I think it's an area where we, again, are just sharing something successful with each other. We can tweak it, change it, apply it to our own scenarios, and just celebrate each other for some great work with kids. So what would you say would be that moment for you? That moment, I don't even need to think about it because I know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
my voice may crack because it's emotional for me. Yeah. Um, so teaching in a classroom, very diverse group of kids, including children with special needs, one on the autism spectrum um, and this, this child on the autism spectrum. We're um, in the talk about module. So the students learn, read, wrote about their topic and we were getting ready to kick off oral presentations. And I'm all about the meaning of things. And so I teach teachers all the time, please do not assume what, that children understand what the term oral presentation is. So I did a lesson on what is an oral presentation and we came to the word contribution. I described, well, you know, just like your moms and dads have jobs, you know, what is your job? Your job is to be a student. And, you know, so the lesson went on and we came to the point where I was describing that an oral presentation is a contribution. I said, I'm wondering who could define that word for me. Little Lucy gets up and she says, I know. And everyone was just so surprised that she stood up and wanted to make this contribution, especially because of her disability. Yeah. And so she said, and I know that we're not sharing video, so I'm going to describe what she did. Okay. She said, a contribution is something you don't keep to yourself. And she was hugging her chest, rocking back and forth. She said, a contribution is something you throw out to the world. And she pitched like her arm, like she was throwing a baseball. Oh I, I told you I reside in New England. I live in the state of Vermont. This was not in the state of Vermont, but it was in New England. It was in New Hampshire. And I said, okay, everybody up. And I said, before we give our old presentations, we're going to pretend we're pitching on the Red Sox. <laughs> so everybody's going to make their contribution. And looking at that child in a leadership position with a disability, being able to make that contribution, I think of all the time because contribution is what is about for me. Well, yeah, and her answer was so deep. It wasn't, you know, probably what you were even expecting to hear. Exactly, exactly. It. I, I don't think there was a dry eye of an adult in the classroom. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, I do want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else you wanted to share with us? No, except that it was just such a pleasure chatting with you, and I look forward to us connecting as colleagues and supporting each other. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad we could catch up and we're, we're very similar minded and just our, our passion for kids and just empowering them to be the best that they can be. And I just look up to you as someone that I can go to and ask any questions. So I'm so thankful you were willing to come on the podcast without even really knowing me and sharing so much about, you know, your personal life, you know, your family and, and all the advice they have given you has really touched me. So thank you so much. It was my sincere pleasure. Thanks so much, Gretchen. Thanks. Have a good weekend. Okay, you as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, wasn't that an empowering message from Phil? I absolutely love her as a person. She is on fire for education. She has her niche, making sure that all students are receiving the education that they need in the way that they need it. But what I really love about her is her soul. She is such a genuine person 
who has done many things in her lifetime to give back to the community, but you can tell in talking with her, she's a lover of life, and that is really what is inspiring to other teachers and students who learn from her, because they can just feel that energy, and that excites them to want to do better and achieve more, and also pay it forward. So teachers that come to listen to her or read her book are not only learning from her, but they're passing it on to their students, they're sharing it with colleagues, and so as you listen today, I hope there was a nugget of information here that you really resonated with and feel free to reach out to Phil. She is so warm and welcoming. I met her through Twitter and she answered very quickly. So she wants to hear from you any questions you have. Maybe you want to invite her into your classroom or to your school building. I know she's open to do that even if it's just virtually. But what I would suggest for you all is find people like Phil. She is a fantastic mentor someone that I truly look up to. I'm so glad I got to connect with her. And that's what you need to surround yourself with. People who are giving everything they've got to make our educational space even better. People that truly love what they do and who love students and put them first always. Phil, if you're listening, thank you so much for being a guest on the Empowering Educators podcast. All of us here, big round of applause. Appreciate all that you're doing for us. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Phil Makomer. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. This podcast is a member of the Education Podcast Network, a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcastnetwork.com for more details.